Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, use the code HOUSE at checkout. You get 20% off your order and free shipping. And also by DraftKings, Massachusetts betters use the code BBB to celebrate legal sports betting in Massachusetts. And you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. This is episode 122. And... Last week was the Ed Cooley venting episode. Uh, this is much happier times because not only is there a coach in Friartown, but there's also <clears throat> baseball today, which I think you made a comment a couple of days ago when we were together. You're like, yeah, that fucking snuck up on me because I thought we had a few more weeks. Thought we had an extra week or two. Really did. And that's just the blur of spring training. Spring training is a weird time. I love it, but I also, I'm going to be honest, I don't watch a lot of spring training baseball. I'll catch the highlights on Twitter. I'll tune into a game or two when like some of the big wigs start making into the lineup, you know, not like I hate in the beginning where it's like, okay, first day of uh, spring trading. Let's see who's in the lineup. And it's Glaber Torres and a bunch of people. I have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah. And then all of a sudden you get the storylines like, Oh, this guy might be the fifth starter. It's like, yeah. this guy could be, uh, he could be utility guy. And then, Everybody just starts sucking and things go back to normal. Yeah, I guess I guess spring training would be exciting if you had a team that was rebuilding because it's like your true scouting report. We don't have that. We are <laughs> New York goddamn Yankees. We have the cream of the crop. So we already know who's going to be filling in, filling in the holes. Uh, obviously, there's some injuries, but opening day. I dropped my futures blog. I dropped my opening day lines. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to roll. Hey, by the way, get your opening day merch. We have some great baseball merch available. Opening day. Opening day. I was opening getting day. stole my thunder. <laughs> That's a trending hashtag now. I'm going to be honest. We were the first ones to put it out there. I did not see opening day until the shirt was dropped. I'm just going to say. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I love it. Volpening day. Um, there's quite a few other baseball options on our store too. We have, uh, you know, I'm not going to say regrettably because we have a sizable portion of our house enterprise community, our Mets fans. Um, so some fun Mets merch. Uh, you just lost to nasty Nestor with a mustache is another good one. Uh, an MVP Aaron judge shirt, get whatever you want. Uh, a lot of baseball merch. If you're in the New York area or a New York fan, um, Go to our website, house-enterprise.com. Check out the store. I personally will be placing a opening day shirt uh, order or maybe whatever other crazy shit uh, is on there too. Um, I don't know what's the craziest piece of merch on that specific store. Is it is it anything nuts? Um, I mean, I think one of the most favorite shirts that we designed, um, Basil had this idea, was the... And again, it's not applicable now because he's hurt. But the Edwin Diaz, um, oh, yeah, outfits. I think that's a that I think that's a cool design. Um, I meant like, what can you put the opening day logo on? But yes, oh, I, I do oh, concur. Well, and I'm no, what I'm realizing did... is that there's a cropped ladies fleece tee. I did that hoodie. One. I should say I did that one. Yeah, <laughs> nothing crazy. That one's just you know some hoodies, some Simple. t-shirts. Maybe we'll throw it on a water bottle or two. Who knows? It's very simple. I love it. But get your get your merch uh, opening day. Squad Locker hopefully will run some more deals soon. Um, 
and we're we're pumped. I'm I'm ready for baseball. I will be making some baseball wagers on DraftKings uh, these next couple of days. So can't wait for that. Um, and just real quick before we get into our interview too, Kim English is the coach of the Providence Friars. We bitched about Ed Cooley all last week. I don't care anymore. Kim English is in town. It's uh, you, we had our time to cry. <clears throat> now they've turned the page, the Providence Friars, and this dude is making his mark already. I, I love this hire. I will say, love the hire. I mean, I've never seen. I already know Friar fans are an uh, energetic fan base, but that press conference yesterday that we, you know, had the fortunate opportunity to attend was packed. And again, I know it's all about perception, but Georgetown press conference. It was a small little room with some staged pom-poms and like 20 people. This was a, what would you say? 500 people? Oh, no. I would say a thousand. You would easily. say a thousand? I would, yeah. It was <clears throat> filled to the brim, standing room only, players that have graduated, current players. We saw guys, Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter, who, are they on the team? Are they not on the team? We don't know, but. They're, they they showed up in, in support. Kim English was awesome. Uh, Coach Erin Bath from the women's team was incredible. She was she had the speech of the day. She was firing people up. Um, Napolillo, you know, this was a challenging time for him, and he came out on top, and I think he made a, a home run hire in Kim English. So, And also, Kim English is just winning with the fans. Mindset, I love he's just tweeting every day mindset friars logo and a mindset we were talking about this yesterday just tweeting random cryptic shit to gas the fan base up i love it he's literally on live stream after one-on-ones against players which i was telling with you it's like Jaden pierre who entered the transfer portal doesn't have anything to do with kim english has no connection to the friars anymore as you enter the transfer portal why do you at 11 o'clock at night go play a one-on-one with your new coach that's not your coach and then go to the press conference the next day yeah he, he didn't have to do that you didn't have to do he's that just feeling around a little and just saying all right am i gonna get some bites or should i stay here and i bet you crystal ball he stays that's crystal what ball, I, think. I think i think they all stay i i truly do because you know you have a guy like jared bynum who you know was a fantastic player for providence he transferred out right after the news broke and you know, and he wasn't at the and he wasn't at the press conference. He's taking his next chapter for his grad year and moving on. These other guys, if they wanted to leave, and and I honestly think players like Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins are miles better than Jared Bynum. No disrespect, it's just a fact. If they wanted to leave, they would have left already. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So- and and the way Kim English talked about it was like, hey. You know, we got some good news coming up for Friars fans and like this team's being built around them. So I, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Hey, I will also just take this opportunity to plug the the merch again. Us, we together, family fraud. That's one of your best. That's that is some of your best work. That easily. Was a good one. I know I would I, say top three of designs that you've done. I hated how <laughs> much I liked the District of Cooley shirts. It's fucking sick because that was a good, that was a good one. And I was like, damn, I don't want to release this. There's always <laughs> those shirts that come out. There's that one. There's the, the fly Eagles fly empire state building shirt that I didn't want to make any of the Mets merch. I didn't want to make. I'm a company man. What can I say? <laughs> we make what the people want and you know, 
once I have to start doing Red Sox stuff, I'm gonna pull no. my gray hairs out. But that's for we we, we fold before we make Red Sox. Yeah, they have <laughs> to they have to do something for me to. In order I to, I agree. Uh, they have to. Me. They have to break 500. That's we can compromise with the small yeah. state big takes, guys. Oh, crazy shit. But anyway, uh, an awesome, awesome interview uh, to start off with beers and business. Um, Soham Cider Works. We head on down to Warren, which, by the way, I haven't been to Warren in probably three years Shout before we Mac went Oslin. there earlier this week. Shout out Mac Oslin. Uh, Shout out Beth Carter. Sure. Shout out Beth Carter. Um, uh, Mac Oslin, former. Oh, there goes Tucker. He's awake. Hey, buddy. Poor guy. Tucker is recovering from a a a minor or rather major procedure. Boy got snipped. He did. The, the boy the got snipped. Dog. I hate it. But... No longer uh no longer has his manhood. Sorry about that, Tucker. Um but yeah, Warren, I have not been to uh, Matt Goslin. Uh, I think he wrote a blog for us back in the day. One blog. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wrote one, one blog. blog. Hey, but he's one of many people that have contributed. Um, yeah, uh, Soham Cider Works, really cozy, cool spot. Spencer Morris, who founded and and runs a show over there, uh, talking to us about all things apples. I mean, first of all, you're going to listen to this and be like, wow, I know more about apples than I think I ever would, which is how you and I were walking out of there. Um, and Marika Gillis, who... Is overseeing some of the tasting room operations. Um, you got to check out Soham Cider Works if you go to Warren or if you're down near Barrington or uh, Middletown, Portsmouth, all those towns um, on the eastern, I, I don't know what that part of Rhode Island is called, but like south of Providence on the east side. Um, really cool stories about how they set up a, a cider shop. Um, they're making hard cider. Really good. Really good stuff. Went home with a bottle um, and I can't wait to Crack it open and try it out. So let's hop into our conversation with Spencer Morris and Marika Gillis of Soham's Cider Works. All right, everybody. We are joined by Spencer and Marika. We're at Soham's Cider Works, and this is a live episode in Warren. This is our first cider episode, first Fantastic. Warren episode. So two two big checking things. Yeah, things. Checking off some boxes. But Fantastic. it's uh, about time. It's about time. We got to show some <laughs> love to the cider and show some love to Warren. But um, we're in this Victorian era style saloon. Yeah. We're talking some apples. We're talking your business. And uh, how's everything going? We appreciate us being here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, uh, things are going great. Uh, we've been, uh, been open since 2018. And uh, fortunately, we opened a year before COVID, of course. So uh, we had a nice run up and uh, we were able to get through that uh, without too much, uh, too much stress. Um, and uh, yeah, we're happy to be here today. It's uh, the beginning of spring, which uh, bodes bodes well so far for the apple crop. That's um, the basis of our business, really, is uh, growing the apples and then uh, turning them into into the ciders. So right before we just hit record, you gave us this lovely review of the cider <laughs> we're about to drink. Let's do it. Let's let's dive into what sure. we're drinking, and then we'll we'll do a quick cheers. Sure, absolutely. As well. So uh, first and foremost, what we tell our customers when they come in is that uh, our ciders are um, very much like still dry white wine. They're not uh, bubbly, they're not sweet, and they're not overtly apple-y. They're more floral in character. 
um, and they're made very much like a, a white wine. And um, so, um, in this case, uh, we have a uh, a blended cider. Um, most of what we produce are made from single varietal apples. So I grow over 70 types of apples, and uh, we make cider from all of them. In this case, though, it is a blend, and it's a blend of um, Liberty Apple, which is a modern American cultivar. It was developed by Cornell maybe 30 years ago, I would say, uh, for disease resistance, high productivity, and um, great aromatics. It has some Macintosh in its parentage. Um, and uh, the thing that, that I like is that it has a little bit of tannin. And tannins are great for building wines. And so this provides a base for this particular blend. And the other half are, of the juice is made from uh, French and English bittersweet apples. And bittersweet apples are grown in Europe for cider only. They're not palatable. The bitterness comes from tannins. Again, tannins. Uh, sort of like biting into a tea bag gives you that in the fresh fruit. But in the cider, it creates some richness and depth and body and a balance against the acids that are nat naturally as part of, part of an apple. Um, so this is from 2020, Harvest. Um, You've sold us. Sold us. Can't wait, to, can't wait to try. I don't think I've ever had a cider with uh, that tastes like a, like a still dry wine. As yeah, it's, it. most people who come in are... are I would say pleasantly surprised, and oh, wow. um, it's just one dimension of the cider uh, culture that is being reconstructed, really, in this country. Um, so, uh, it's really good. I, I think when yeah. most people think of cider, they think of like hard cider, right? They think of sparkling or, or, yep, or that as the the hard cider. But this is this yep. a very interesting take. This is, um, um, so so. What has happened in this country is um, cider during the colonial era was the drink of the nation. And all the way up until, say, the late 1800s, it was uh, part of your farm economy. And um, late Victorian era, people were moving off the land and moving into cities. Manufacturing was becoming the main driver for our economy. And making uh, cider really was a farm-based enterprise. Uh, so today, um, we're sort of trying to reconstruct that. And um, the first shot in by large cider producers was uh, to profile a cider as a beer alternative. So you basically have a low ABV, around 5%. You carbonate the heck out of it. You back-sweeten it. Because those are, the, um, those are sort of the characteristics that people felt would, would provide an alternative to beer that was appealing. Um, now, um, the cider community has broadened, and we have a lot of different approaches now. In fact, some would say that the most exciting things in the cider world, if you will, are happening in this country, even though it's the youngest community, in a sense, that we don't really, we don't have a, either the genetic continuity that goes back to colonial era, because around 1900, nobody was making cider. It's a forgotten thing, really. It, I mean... People did, but as a big commercial enterprise, it was non-existent. And the orchards that supplied that that enterprise at the time, most of them have disappeared. And uh, so, one fun part of contemporary cider making is um, uh, folks that base their business on foraging fruit. So, literally going out into the wild. And I'm greatly envious of that, but I'm a farmer. You know, I don't. Know, I don't that's not. <laughs> it's not going to work for me to go out in the woods. 
So we grow a lot of different varieties, and that's what gives some interest to our product. Yeah. So let's start off, you know, go back in time, 1999. Yeah. Yep. You bought the Orchard Farm, but you weren't a farmer initially. So what were you yeah. doing before you purchased that orchard? And, you know, what made you say, let's, let's, let's start making cider. Let's do let's cider. Do cider. Well, um, it's true. I, I, I have another business, and we, 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 um, we make wine dispensing systems for restaurants and, and tap handles and accoutrements that service the promotional side of, of, the, of the wine and spirits industry. And uh, cider, too, to some extent, although it's a very small piece. Um, I will say that um, my family, and this goes back to my grandfather, uh, has an orchard, had an orchard. He's passed away a long time ago, but my mother still runs a small pick-your-own orchard in the Hudson Valley. So as a generational thing, uh, we're you know, about 10 years ago kind of thinking about, well, what, what can we do with these apples that is somewhat more profitable, let's just say. It's very difficult. Farming in general is very problematic in this area, uh, but uh, farming apples, unless you do it in really a big scale, uh, is problematic for small growers, so you're looking for a value add. And cider, 15 years ago, was sort of becoming a category that people were recognizing um, in the liquor world, and I thought, you know, let's give it a shot. So um, uh, that was, uh, there's a little bit of a history with my family, and there's a bit of a seeking opportunity with a growing industry. Um, so that's sort of a, a little bit of the history on that. Uh, and then 10 years ago, right, you start planting trees. Exactly, yeah. 10 years uh, this spring. Yeah. Yep. Congratulations, yep. firstly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then five years ago is the opening uh, of where we are now. Yep. So, yep. you know, take us through that process from, okay, we have the land, you know, we're starting to plant. Yep. Yep. And now we're going to physically open this location. Right. So um, it takes, depending on, I mean, there's some complexity to planting an orchard. Uh, there's a, quite a few decisions you have to make right from the beginning. Uh, things like, well, how big are, are the trees you want to grow? And then that will speak to, like, how many you can fit on an acre and the certain types of practices that would be used. So uh, those were all ruminations early on. And you do a lot of kind of reading. And at that time, fortunately, there were people who were starting to write about cider making and growing apples and what varieties to think about and even reflecting a little bit on lost tradition. So as a guy, those were things, tools that I would, I, you know, looked at. And, um, uh, and I was very fortunate to find a piece of land available in this, in Warren. So it's a really a hyper-local, vertically integrated enterprise. And uh, as it turns out, the land's not ideal for growing apples. I didn't learn this until I had already kind of made the commitment and was planting. Uh, but we've, we've learned ways of, of, of um, uh, mitigating some of the problems. And in fact, um, uh, well, just going back, reel back a little bit. So among other things, besides the tree size, is the varietals. Now there's tens of thousands of apple varieties. Most people don't know that. You don't think about it because you go to the grocery store, you see five of the same varieties every year, year in and year out. Well, uh, apple genetics are very complex and uh, very diverse. Um, so currently, I think Marika has cataloged 70 varieties. I thought That's we were at 50. 70 to 90, depending on <laughs> when I can decipher the, uh, the handwriting. It kind of right. <laughs> right. So a lot of that is speculation, right? Because where are you going to taste that apple? You know, you read about it. 
and some are old texts, you know, and they describe these wonderful qualities and go, ah, that sounds like it'd be useful. So uh, selecting the varietals was important, and I think I started with maybe 25 or 30 different different varieties in the initial plant out, and um, it takes three to five years to get uh, a viable volume of fruit off of a tree. I mean, you a tree has to kind of adjust in the first year or two, and then the root base develops, and then you know you get some more reliable and consistent fruiting. So five years in, I had enough fruit to start to um, produce cider under license for the opening a year later, right? Because you, you know, it takes a year at least. Uh, today, it takes almost two years, based on my experience, and uh, to produce the kind of quality that I'm looking for. Um, so that was the uh, nascent of the of the project, and um, we were very fortunate. We, you know, as I say, it was uh, <laughs> a year before COVID, and uh, if it had happened the COVID year or the fall of 2019, I think uh, it would have been more problematic because this is a kind of an oddball enterprise. There's really not that many of us around, <laughs> so how do you know if it's going to be can be successful if there's enough interest? Um, and uh, to support a small business like this. So um, that first year was very telling. It was enough to say, yeah, keep it up. I would say also on apple growing, something that people don't often know is you can't throw a Granny Smith apple into the ground and grow a Smith, Granny Smith apple tree. Yeah. It's like they have twice as many genes as humans. So it's like if you have a baby, it's not going to be identical. If you throw an apple seed in, it's going to be a totally random type of tree. So I guess some grow more likenesses to their parent trees, so to speak, but generally it's just going to be something totally random. So you have to take the rootstock and then get your uh, varietal on that and then take cuttings to keep it. So I guess there was like one parent Granny Smith apple, yep. for instance. You know, we don't talk many, about Granny Smith. We don't, right, yeah. Yeah. We talk one, about the Rhode Island greening. <laughs> yeah, right. From 16... 1670s. 1670s. Yeah, 1670s. Yeah. So one 1670s, one, yeah. one Rhode Island greening apple. Yeah. We do have that as the oldest apple in the state. We have that in our notes. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I guess two questions. Is there a Soams um, varietal? No. So okay. a little bit about um, the name Soams, which is the Poconocet uh, Native American uh, reference to this region, which includes Swansea, Barrington, Bristol, um, and Warren. And um, so... You know, we're a very local enterprise that has, I mean, not personally, but apples uh, have a long history in this region. And uh, it just seems appropriate to uh, try to identify with the, with the land in a way um, when naming the, the, the business. So um, there are other, um, I call them indigenous uh, varietals besides the Rhode Island greening, and I, I seek them if I can. And, and um, it's just very hard to get primary source material that, uh, you know, that, that, that can identify the lo any local varietals that may be around. And the old orchards in this state, you, you might have a Rhode Island greening. You'd be surprised how many Rhode Islanders don't know what a Rhode Island greening is. <laughs> um, but there's others. Uh, Peck Pleasant I grow. That's an old um, apple from Rhode Island that it goes back to around the same period, a little bit later, and it's associated with the uh, immigration of French Huguenots in the South County. So, um, and then there's another apple called Peck Pleasant, which is a 19th century varietal that's fabulous. Um, 
And these are really wonderful varieties. Um, call them heirloom varieties, if you will. And there's good reason why um, they've survived all this time. I mean, they're not grown in abundance, and some are very hard to find, but um, you can still find some of them in uh, historic um, living libraries, I guess. They're collectors of this sort of thing. And I've, I guess I've sort of become a collector, too, in a lot of ways. But, uh, uh, you know, I have a very specific commercial purpose here. So, uh, But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the local um, connection, I think, is, is important for a couple of reasons. One, it's a cultural connection. People feel a sense of place, you know, when they, I hope at least, at least we try to convey that when they drink a glass of, you know, Rhode Island greening cider. Um, and then there's also sort of the uh, genetics of the varietal that um, uh, make it um, thrifty in our environment, right? So, I mean, these are varieties that were grown hundreds of years ago, and they've, they've done well because they're adapted to our little microclimate here. So that from an orchard perspective, a grower's perspective, uh, that's usually valuable. Um, you know, we don't like to spray for pests, and uh, and uh, you know, I do very little spraying actually. So, um, and these types of varieties um, uh, are quite enduring, and, and, and that's a you know that's a great asset. And is there a specific apple that one is your favorite, oh. as well as a specific <laughs> apple that makes I guess the best cider in your collection? So we have, uh, get asked this question a lot, right? You know, what's your favorite cider? And, uh, you know, I have to say it's, it's sort of an unfair question, right? Because, um, you know, they're all your love babies. all my yeah. children, right? And uh, some of it is, um, you know, we try to emphasize um, how cider pairs with other things. Your mood, your, you know, your palate that day, because that's always changing food that you might be preparing or thinking about preparing. Um, so these are variables that um, kind of modify you, what you might want. You know, and I'm, you know, I have the great virtue of a cellar full of different cider. So, but um, uh, my favorite, you know, in terms of an apple, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little unpatriotic here, but one of my favorite apples is an apple called Cox's Orange Pippin. And this is a very famous English apple. Um, it, um, it's just, it's just a wonderful grown, right? It's just a f wonderful, wonderful apple. It's rich. It's got a dense kind of yellow, uh, flesh. Um, it even has kind of an orange, not only pale on the outside, but it has a citrusy orangey kind of, uh, flavor to it. Um, and it's used today, um, not grown commonly. It's a tricky one to grow. In fact, if you, <laughs> if you go on research to the Cox's Orange Pippin, you wind up on a lot of English blogs. And English, the English are fanatics about their apples, right? So they wax on about how wonderful this Cox's Orange Pippin is, but then the end of the, uh, the, end of the little uh, the essay is like, don't try growing this unless you're an expert because it's very difficult. Well, they grow pretty well here. <laughs> and, uh, but and it also makes an excellent cider. But it's known, it's actually used in today in uh, breeding programs because of the flavor characteristics are so fantastic. Um, Unfortunately, it is a little more disease-prone, so they're trying to find ways of disease-resistant apple that has the palate qualities of a Cox's Orange Pippin. Not to say that Rhode Island greening isn't a good second. It really, <laughs> um, it, it's a the greening is a has wonderful dimensions because it ripens over a about a six-week 
period as I experience it. And, and the first fruit off tends to have a little bit more tartness to it. And as it ages on the tree, it mellows and develops more sweetness and richness. So it has, you know, it has this um, kind of, not elusive, but uh, it gives you all these different qualities um, over time at the, in the harvest. And uh, uh, so, that, so that's, uh, that's another one of my favorite. I mean, there's so many. Uh, the, one of the best ciders we make is from, a, from an old, um, it's an American apple. It was a cider apple grown in, found in Trenton, New Jersey. You know, people think about like Trenton, New Jersey. Well, another one, Newtown Pippin, was Newtown. Newtown is Queens, New York. Well, these are all agricultural areas at one time. So, uh, but this Harrison apple from New Jersey is fantastic, and it it was a very famous cider apple uh, of its day, and almost lost completely to history, which would have been a, a dear shame, particularly now knowing what what it does in terms of making cider. Um, so, so that's a that's another one of my favorites, and that's an American apple. <laughs> so, Spencer, I mean, we've we've known you for maybe forty-five minutes, and we can tell that you know you're an apple guy. Yeah, you're right. I've become so, one. <laughs> I have become one. But it so is. that's sort of the question, right? You're yeah. a manufacturer by trade. You you yeah. got this passion yeah. for for cider and yeah. you know sort of the apple world, right? For lack of a better term, sure. But, but we to call be it frank, the apple universe. Yeah, the <laughs> apple sphere of sorts. <laughs> But to be frank, why why do you like this so much? Why is this the industry that you fell in love with, and what ignites your passion right now? Yeah, so um, all the things we've just discussed, uh, the diversity of the crop, the, um, you know, starting out not knowing what all of these trees would do when you planted them, having never tasted a lot of them. Um, so those surprises that come along every year when a new varietal comes into fruit, you're like, wow, this is going to be great, or eh. Maybe not. So all of these things, these challenges, if you will, um, it's uh, it's fundamentally uh, an agriculturally based business. So you have to enjoy getting your feet in the mud. As uh, one old timer that I, I corresponded with uh, in my efforts to, to gather some of these old varieties, he said, this is nothing better than getting your toes in the mud. And, you know, he says, I wish more young people today would do that. And uh, so for me, that's really gratifying. And uh, kind of forced Mariah into it too. Well, I think she came with dirty boots anyway. Um, so, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 always having something new and different to do. I mean, the the seasons really drive the enterprise. So, um, you know, every year there's this rotation of things that uh, need to get done, and each one of those things has its own unique challenges and unique discoveries every year. You know. Um, so that's, that's really important. It's a physical enterprise, you know, I, I mean, it, I keep, I think I keep reasonably fit as a 70, you know, 67 year old, just, uh, lugging stuff around the orchard. Um, and, and there's also just the creative side of it, right? So, um, there's a bit of creativity that goes into growing the trees, right? You're, you're pruning right now, we're pruning. My favorite thing to do. It's a very sculptural enterprise, really. And uh, my wife's a sculptor too. And I kind of kid with her. It's like, well, you know, one wrong move for you, and I can cut the tree down and nothing, and it'll grow back. You know, I just have to wait a while. So, um, so that's that's part of it. You know, when you're pruning, you're thinking about this moment. You know, you're thinking about the coming year. What's the tree going to look like? And you're thinking about the tree three or four years from now, because. Um, that's when um, a lot of those cuts are going to manifest themselves. 
And um, so, yeah, and then the cider aspect of it, of course, let's not forget about that. Um, every year we produce from the same orchard the same varietals, but every year they're different. Now, um, last year, 2022, best crop I've ever had. Worst drought anybody's seen in this region. Perilous for a lot of farmers who didn't irrigate. I don't irrigate. My land, however, has this sort of peculiar characteristics that it doesn't rain. Really lousy in wet years, fantastic in dry years. So my best crop was last year, driven by the sunlight, not the water, driven by the sunlight. We had tons of sun. So our ciders in a year and a half are going to be exceptional. I know this. Um, but how exceptional and how is that um, going to manifest itself? Like, you know, what, what kind of exceptional qualities are going to manifest themselves? Don't know. You know, we'll know in two years. Because I don't touch the stuff until we bottle it. <laughs> so it's always, you know, it's always a surprise at the end of the day. I'm liking it to beer festivals where, you know, you, we just went to the Rhode Island brewfest oh, a couple months ago. Right. And, you know, we, you have 20 or 30 tasters of an IPA and it's just like, eh, yeah. all right. And it's how the same. Gonna, how are you going to really <laughs> judge it, right? So. Yeah, after you've had a few, too. Yes. Well, yeah, that, right. that, that, that's. <laughs> but no, thank you. I'm glad you liked that. Yeah. No, it's excellent. That's a good starter. Um, when you try all four, you'll see the differences. And, um, and um, we always try to like finish with a bang. So, the, uh, you know, it's... it's uh, I'll have to come back and do the full taste. Yeah, yeah well, anytime. You know, it may not be these four, though. So, mm -hmm. Easter, we'll swap it out. We were just discussing this morning about that. And, um, you know, we try to try to coordinate a little bit with, with the calendar, you know, special events going on either in town uh, we do the Warren Walkabout is a big deal for us. It was opening day uh, in 2018 was October Walkabout. It was, it was a mob scene and it was great. And uh, we do an anniversary of that. And, um, you know, the, obviously the holidays and so forth. And, and again, you know, food is associated with a lot of these holidays. So always trying to emphasize the pairing of cider with food. And um, personally, I, I'm a cider drinker. I don't drink a lot of grape wine anymore and I feel that um, you know cider is is in many ways a better beverage at the dinner table it's not uh, kind of as as big if you will uh, and dominating in a way that um, you know against a, a, a plate of food that might be a little more subtle in character um, and yet it has the acidity uh, and uh, to to really work with a lot of different uh, meals and uh, so that's always, so we try to key in with the holidays, you know, and um, Easter's coming up. We're going to do, um, we'll feature the Rhode Island greening because, you know, the greening of spring. And then um, we're going to put a gold rush on, which is another apple varietal that makes a really nice cider, sort of the golden egg and all that. So there's this sort of subtle association, but also truly in terms of what would pair well with, with an Easter meal. And I think that's a good segue, actually, to the taproom, right? Because there's the making and, you know, the, the bottling and whatnot, but yeah. we also have a, a beautiful Victorian-era uh, yeah. saloon, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so it's probably a good time to bring Marika, too. They, as the taproom manager, you know, what can well, a consumer... Spencer's, Spencer's the taproom manager. <laughs> I'm leaning more and more. Yes. I think, you know, your prompt is good. Let's keep pushing it that way. <laughs> but... But in any case, inside the tapper, right, what, what should consumers expect when they walk in here, you know, as, as far as a, an experience yeah. or the products to try, we've went over for sure. But yeah. in general, what should people expect? 
Well, I think visually when you walk in, there's obviously the bar, but also we have the presses are right behind everyone, which they generally think that they're props. Um, but I kind of like to go through that for people who haven't been, like, you know, explain our, our orchards just a couple miles away. Um, and then generally for people who haven't been in, uh, as well as people who haven't been in in the past couple weeks at any given time, the tasting is a great opportunity to um, get to know our ciders a little bit more. Um, so we always do four. We do usually start with the orchard blend and then kind of work through in terms of palate, um, generally move towards sharpness or sometimes richness. Um, and then, you know, one at a time and kind of go through what the apples are that go into it, uh, you know, what to expect a little bit. But generally, we leave people to their own devices and let them decide what, how each cider tastes. And yeah, I would say, just to chime in, that um, uh, as you've talked about the physical surrounding, this is our production room as well. So I think that kind of surprises people. Like, how do you do it all in here? Well, we don't, we're not open every day for, for the public. Um, but in terms of the experience, uh, the most gratifying thing that, that I, I get from people is like, wow, great ciders, and we learn so much, you know. And that's, to me, what really creates the experience is um, we try to, we're not, you know, dogmatic about, um, you know, apples so much as re really reflecting an enthusiasm for the crop and, and, um, and uh, you know, sort of provoking an interest on the part of the, cu the customer as to, like, oh, really, you know, 10,000 varieties, you know, in 1900, you know, wow, what happened to them all? You know, so those are discussions that we can get into and speculation. And um, all, every apple has a story. So we're, we're never going to run out of things to say. <laughs> um, and that's part of the fun, too, you know. Uh, but, you know, again, it's the educational aspect um, as well as the, you know, the palate experience. Um, and I would just make one correction. Um, it's really not a tap room, it's a tasting room. Right, tasting room. That's our beard knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> we don't have a tap. You know, we're opening bottles. And, tasting room. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of what it's, a, and that really reflects what we're doing here. And uh, uh, so uh, and I do have to make a distinction between, you know, uh, because brewing and cider making are kind of two different things. It involve, They both involve fermentation, but... Um, for, for the cider maker, as, 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 as I practice it, uh, we're farmers first. So we're, you know, we bring the fruit in and, um, you know, beer makers brew the wort and that's why they're called breweries and stuff. But uh, um, in fact, I, I joke with friends of mine who are, and we've had beer clubs that come in here and, and you know, so there's this nice camaraderie, but I, I joke with them. I says, you know, you guys, I don't know how you do I'm I stayed away from beer making because it just seemed way too complicated, you know, and, uh, and they joke. And then I said, well, but the only thing is I grow the fruit. That's my, you know, that's the burden that I have to But you know. Yeah, not to minimize cider making, but it's very simple. I started making cider in a tiny apartment in New Hampshire because, like, you can get apples for free. We don't. Or the labor is the labor. But, um, but you basically, you can put it in a container and you're going to have cider eventually put the juice in. Yeah. Um, but it is like a... In you don't need all the fancy stuff. It's, it's the apples, and sometimes the yeast. Sometimes it's just the yeast starting the apples, but um, it's not a whole lot of ingredients that go into it. Yeah, just absolutely. a lot of love and, and time. Well, it's a lot of cleaning, scrubbing, washing, yeah. all. <laughs> 
know, that, those industries share that in common. For yeah, that, that, they, we do share that with the beer makers. And, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I took some courses at Cornell about cider making. And they, 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 this goes back probably 10 or 11 years. And they, they, uh, they were like two seminars, 10 days each. It's just, you know, Cornell is like this wine school and it has the largest apple collection in the world. Stuff. It is you what know. Cornell is known for, after all. Well, absolutely. <laughs> so they have these two, one, you know, like week and a half seminars. That's it on cider making. They have a school of winemaking, but that's it. So I went to them, and that, and um, and it was uh, run by at that time by a gentleman from England called Peter Mitchell, and he had worked at Bulmer's, uh, which is one of the biggest cider makers in the world, English production cider house, and he was a very industry oriented kind of kind of guy, and his program was really steered that way. And yeah, you want to make a complicated project out of cider making? Sure, you can. <laughs> you know, you could go into you know the use of uh, sulfur for various reasons, uh, clarifying, uh, filtration, carbonating, and then um, and then flavor profiling. And you can add as much complexity as you want. And a lot of it's driven by the need for consistency in industry, the the need for exped an uh, expedited process. I mean, you can make a cider in like two, three weeks. Done, you know. Apple juice, can, done. Um, two years. So, but you have to have patience. And um, along the way, I've taken all of those things that I learned about and eliminated almost every single one of them. And that's really kind of what defines this operation is the less I do, the better the product in terms of cider making. And it's, again all about what comes in from the orchard, you know? Because if you don't start with that, a good product uh, in the beginning, you'll, you'll, you, you just won't have it in the end. And in the end, could be five years from now. I mean, we sell our ciders um, more experimentally uh, just to see what aging does. And aging is huge, it's huge. So on that aging process, because we, you briefly mentioned it in the beginning, yeah. but the, your COVID year, Obviously, oh, yeah. like, yeah. we know the impacts that COVID had on oh, yeah. everything else, yeah. but yeah. what happened to your cider during that, that year? Well, uh, first of all, we were very fortunate that uh, because we uh, sell uh, in the containers, bottles, we're considered an essential industry, right, because package stores stayed open all the time. So we never really closed. We closed the tasting room uh, until the state um, developed the protocols that we all had to do, and and, and, of course, people were willing to sit outside in 40-degree weather with a heater. So that was terrific. Um, but um, in terms of what actually happened to the cider, well, um, a couple of things. One is just as a business, um, uh, it was um, enabled us to build inventory. I mean, for better or worse, uh, it's always been a concern from day one that we have enough inventory to carry us for a year. Um, if we had a crop failure, we wouldn't be able to make cider. I can't, I'm not going to go out and buy other people's apples. It's just not, it, it, it just wouldn't work for me. I, and I tried it and it's not, the quality is not there, you know. And that's not to say that we don't have great growers in the state. We do. Um, it's just that what I look for is different. It's not your standard, than, yeah. What, than what other growers are targeting in terms of their market. Um, so, um, some of the ciders, and, and well, I would say all of the ciders benefit from aging. So what we didn't sell that year just got a little bit better in the bottle. Bottle aging is one aspect. People talk about barrel aging. I get that question a lot. I'm sure Malika does too. Oh, do you barrel age your ciders? And it's kind of a, uh, 
I don't know, is meme the right word for that kind of thing? Like, I don't know. It's just sort of a, a thing, right? People think about barrel aging, and it's like it, automatically it's worth more. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's, to me, and I'll just speak for myself, it's not the barrel, it's the aging. Now, you have a wonderful old barrel that had bourbon whiskey in it, and you want to throw your cider in there and let it sit for a year. I'm sure it's going to have some benefit or some effect, if nothing else. Um, but barrels are heavy. <laughs> You've got a, their maintenance, you, and they're prone to infe infection from things you don't really want. Um, so it's kind of off the table for me, you know. Most everything that uh, we use here can be handled by one person. Um, and so that, that's sort of important because there really aren't that many of us <laughs> uh, in the production side. So, yeah. And also, the, with the quality of apples aspect, can you briefly summarize sort of the difference between maybe, you know, your orchard right. versus one that, you know, if Will or I woke up and said, hey, we're, right. we're going to go sure. apple picking today. Sure. What, what are the main differences? So, so for, um, and again, this is what I emphasize with people, if you're really seeking out, and it is sort of an adventure for folks that have an, a real interest in cider, if you're going to seek out cider makers, Try to find the ones that grow their own fruit. You know, that's the first thing. And the reasons for that are the, con the control you have over that product that comes into the cidery. And the first thing is the varietals. As I've said, there's tens of thousands, tens of tens of thousands of apple varietals kind of worldwide. And every time a seed falls to the ground, turns into a tree, that's another variety. So you have that, uh, that option to select particularly for cider making, okay? And the other thing is the culturing. So how do you grow that fruit? How do you grow that, that tree? Do you f irrigate? Do you fertigate? That means introducing fertilizer into the irrigation water. Um, how do you manage the canopy? Um, so that's the other side of it. Uh, and then thirdly, managing the harvest. And most commercial fruit is picked early, underripe. And the reason for that is it's more durable. Um, it will stand up longer in a retail environment, it stores better. Those are things. I, I don't pick fruit. We pick up fruit. So um, we manage the harvest by shaking trees, and anything that falls is, now you know that's, that's tree ripened. And those are the things we gather. And that determines a level of quality as well. I mean, you know, most of your starches are now turned to sugar, which is what we want. Um, it's had maximum amount of exposure to sunlight, so which is the you know is the energy driver. I mean, these are little, not the apples, but the leaves. They're photochemical factories, really, and they're producing, you know, the tannins, the acids, the sugars, uh, the aromatics. All the qualities that go into the flavor of the apple. So ripening is really really important, and um, so those would be sort of the differences. I would just I would say um, a lot of your commercial varietals. I mean, we all know about Macintosh, right? So. Um, it's great apple. I don't grow them. I don't think it makes a particularly good cider or one that has a lot of depth. People use it for cider making. Um, you know, so there's varietals like that. Granny Smith, well, Rhode Island Greening was the most ubiquitous green apple in New England at one time. Granny Smith has taken its place. Well, I think that's too bad because uh, Granny Smith is an inferior apple. Um, so I think it's an Australian apple. Right? It is, yeah. Yeah, there is was, Granny Smith from Australia? It's an Australian or, apple. Well, the actual Granny Smith. I the think. original 
And like, then, was like, there a person grit like there was? Smith? There is a woman named Smith, I think, and yeah. it was on her farm or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. My joke is that because uh, I have one Granny Smith tree, I planted by accident, it was mislabeled, and uh, and I said, "Oh, what the heck? We'll just let it grow." <laughs> so, um, and actually, I will say, I mean, it it has some virtues, and of course, the reason that commercial growers love it, and particularly. Uh, it was built into the brand that it is now by the Washington State Apple Growers Association, which is this incredible marketing uh, outfit that uh, built the uh, Red Delicious into what it, it is now um, and ruined it, of course, at the same time. And the same is true with the Granny Smith, I think. But it's uh, you could fire it from a cannon, you know, from um, Seattle, Washington, and it would land in New York without a blemish. And, and that's the virtue of that. And, but the reason, again, going back to the harvest is they, it's picked early. Hard as a rock, hard as, you know, as you can imagine. Um, my little Granny Smith, actually it's a pretty big tree now. I wait until November to pick. And it's a different looking apple. It's a different flavored apple. Still has some of the tartness. Um, and it's a little more acceptable in my view. But I still, I don't, I, I keep planting Rhode Island Greenings and uh, not Granny Smith. <laughs> so what's next? I mean, what do you have planned for this year? What's the forecast looking like i mean we had a mild winter but yeah. i'm not sure if you're a big farmer's almanac guy yeah like yeah. are you like I is that one, something i haven't read it okay you know, i kind of look up sniff the wind, <laughs> yeah. and, and i look at the you know the weather forecast one week ahead so that's about that's about it okay that's about it i mean last year um so we'll continue with the cidery um uh and uh we, we want to build more traffic right um this side of town is um a little bit less lightly traveled than, than, than the Water Street area. Warren has become kind of a food destination, I have to say. Uh, we've got terrific, uh, terrific restaurants in this town. And, um, you know, and I think we feel like a, a good part of that, uh, creating a level of interest in this community. Um, so, you know, the tasting room will, will continue. Uh, we have a nice outdoor seating area. We're going to probably expand it just a little bit this year. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, as far as like the orchard goes, um, last year we had a spring that was long and late and, and reasonably wet. Uh, so we had a terrific, um, open blossom time, which is hopefully we'll get this year, uh, creates more opportunity for pollination. So we had a good fruit set. Uh, we had plenty of water. So the trees were nice and pumped up going into this dry spell. Um, so we had a lot of good fruit set. Uh, we had nice fat trees, and then we had this uh, intense uh, uh, amount of sunlight for the summer. And those were all really good conditions for, for my crop. This year, I don't know if you get two great years in a row. I mean, I just don't think you really want to count on that. <laughs> but um, I know even in a not-so-great year, uh, there's always something exceptional. And that's, that's, you know, so always looking forward to that, whatever that surprise is. Uh, we'll find it, and uh, we'll continue to make you know, make really great ciders. I think, and uh, uh, that that's sort of the that's the plan. You know, um, uh, there may be a few little surprises. <laughs> you know, occasionally we have some music in here. We might we're talking about maybe doing some a poetry event, and you know, try to do some sort of features uh, as we move along the year. So to close out, in just a couple of words. In both of your eyes, why should people know Soams and why should people try Soams as well? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the company. 
Um, the fruit, I think it's a nice, it's very true to the apple. Um, like Spencer said, we don't modify it a whole lot. Um, it's unfiltered. It's pretty much just what's in the apple. Um, I think it's a good way to, you know, you, we do the same process for every cider, just let it go, but um, everything is so different. So I think it's a pretty cool way to, to learn about apples and, and what they can do and, you know, they're all different and have their own quirks. Yeah. I think you're, the whole interview has been basically the sales pitch of why people should come. Well, pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's first of all, it's really unique. Uh, I, I just, uh, you know, it's uh, it, again, it's we don't have you know product on tap. We so and it's a very focused experience. Um, and and again, because it's unique, it's an opportunity for people to learn. And um, and the ciders is good. I mean, you know, and we encourage people to. Um, if they want to bring their own food, um, to have you know make a you know make an afternoon of it, um, and uh, so that's that's sort of nice. It adds a little flexibility to people's experience. It's not hugely expensive, so it's a nice little outing you can do for ten bucks or or you know one hundred and ten bucks. It, it's just you know make it what you want. Uh, it's a real low key, no pressure kind of situation. We're near the bike path, um, so we get a lot of traffic. Uh, a mid uh, a mid journey stop, you know, and uh, so the, you know there's a lot of a lot of good reasons. Warren's a great walking community. I mean, you can a lot of fun shops, uh, you know, there's good food venues. You can we have a lot of folks that come here on their way to dinner somewhere else, you know, just to kind of get get the evening going. Um, yeah, so those are all you know. So it's the experience of Warren. It's the experience of what we do. Uh, the education that you know. And without being too pedantic, I mean, you know, I say education, but it, it is fun. It's, you know, it's, it is fun to learn. I think if we're, if we're doing our job well, people will leave with more questions than answers. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Absolutely. And that's certainly us right now. I, I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, there's so this right. whole world of apples out there. Yeah. But, um, you got a few more hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but we can't thank you guys enough for taking the time. Oh, it's been great. You guys are uh, fantastic. You, you know, you're doing a great job, too, I have to say. <laughs> thank you. You're getting out on all kinds of things. And uh, uh, I think this is fabulous for us to be able to, uh, to, to talk to you in this way and uh, – Communicate with your community, you know. Yeah, we we've learned a lot. Um, to to close out, where can customers find you uh, yeah. physically, and where can they keep up? Maybe it's social media or, or elsewhere to just see what's what's going on. <laughs> Instagram, uh, Instagram. I would say social media. We have an Instagram page. Just look up so Cider Works and try to do some stories. And I'm no expert, but you know, Mike is great. Try, try to. I try. <laughs> we we <coughs> what. Well, I think you know you you seem to uh, to capture uh, sort of the the day to day activities and uh, some of the posts are about the orchard and some are about what's going on in here what we're featuring so yeah Instagram we have a website that we try to keep current we have where, an email list yep and we do we we do, we don't hound people too much with that <laughs> but uh, come around the holidays we might send out a blast um, Google cider Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Kind of That's where how I, I found this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael You're walked in here Google one day. Maps, yeah, Google Maps is like, where? I moved down here. It's like, where's some cider in the Rhode Island? Not a whole lot. <laughs> one yeah. of it's, we're only 20 minutes from Providence. Um, so, Rhode Islanders, that's not that far. Yes. <laughs> I promise, it's not that far. <laughs> um, and like Spencer said, it's nice, like, we're right on Child Street, and you can just kind of bop over to Main Street, I think. Yeah, Main or Water Street. Yeah. 
Um, we have parking, a limited amount of parking on the premise, and there's plenty of off-street parking in the neighborhoods. And you know, it's we're not uh, we're not the the, the jam-packed weekend side of town. So you know, if you want to escape the pressure of uh, of, of Water Street uh, on, a, on a weekend, come over here and uh, have a nice relaxing time at uh, Soham Cider Works. <laughs> awesome. Well. We appreciate the time. We appreciate the cider. We appreciate the company. And uh, this was a great conversation. We learned a lot, and uh, we hope everyone enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Our pleasure, for sure. <laughs> and that was just Spencer and Marika of Soham's Cider Work in Warren. Great conversation. Great com- Our first, like we said, first Warren conversation and first cider conversation. <laughs> and I was impressed. I was, I know, it was learned a lot. It was super insightful and it was also, you know, great product, great people, great time. So if you're in Warren, check them out because uh, you'll you'll be very, very happy with with the product. I, I think so. And the and also, even if you're like that, the 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 tasting room was such a cool vibe. Yeah, it, it's cozy. It's it's definitely small, but it's it doesn't need to be huge at a place like that. It, it's a family kind of like you walk in there and all you can think of is like, this just seems like a family owned kind of thing. Like you trust what you're, the, the product you're getting is high quality. And I think obviously talking with Spencer, you know, everything that goes into it now, it's, it's an extremely robust craft that this man has obviously dedicated his life to. So yeah, appreciate the the folks at Soham's opening up for us on their off day and giving us a glimpse behind the scenes into cider um we'll go into balls presented by DraftKings. would you like to tell us more about DraftKings, will DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook is officially live in massachusetts and starting this week anytime you use the DraftKings promo code bbb in any of their legal states you get 200 off of bonus bets. so don't bet with some out of town sportsbook back local from the comfort of your home with DraftKings. like i mentioned Using the code BBB will get you $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet $5 or more on anything. Opening day is today, so might as well get some lines in, which we'll go over in a little bit. Uh, DraftKings has the best features, including same-game parlays, player props, and more with fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. So download the sportsbook now, use the code BBB, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you place $5 bet on anything. That's code BBB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope is here. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. Visit gamesensema.com. 21 plus, physically present in Massachusetts. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Pre-launch offer participant voids. Terms at draftkings.com slash MA using the code BBB. Hey, she on the radio. Not bad. That's impressive. Not bad, <laughs> especially on two hours of sleep and tiredness and <laughs> money going into my sports book account responsibly, but we're responsibly. Yes. Responsibly. And it's opening day. And I have two blogs out right now that I'm very happy because I put a betting the futures for the 2023 Yankees and our opening day odds. Now I want to say with the futures bets. I honestly think these are realistic. Like I'm not coming out here and saying world series, Aaron judge, back-to-back MVPs, Garrett Cole, Cy Youngs, which I might think I might think that I might also have wagers on that. 
but I'm not out, outwardly saying that. I'm saying some realistic lines that I want to go over. May I go over? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all ears. So I have Yankees regular season win bands between 92 and 97 wins at plus 245. So hmm. I would love to say that they win 100 games, but I don't think they do. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't say that right now. Who knows, right? Who knows? I hope that's I'm wrong with that one, but I think I think the magic number for the Yankees this year is 96. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I I get that. I have a a division division straight forecast. Yankees first, Blue Jays second at plus 310. I think that's the only right answer. Could Tampa sneak in. I don't think Tampa is strong enough to beat Toronto. I think Toronto has a very good roster, but I don't think they have the juice to jump the Yankees just yet. Could yeah, well, th yeah, that's what I was going to say. Could Toronto? God forbid the inevitable Yankee gets hurt. Could Toronto jump the Yankees? They could. They could. But Bobuchet sucks. Wrong. Yeah. I, I fucking hate the Blue Jays. Ugh. So I have yet Yankees and Mets to both to record 90 wins at plus 140. I think that's now, a I've worried about the Mets to do that because the Phillies are the team to beat. Yeah, but I, that, think, I think they'll, I'll think they, they make 90. I think that division could have three 90 winners. Yeah. Braves, Phillies, Mets potentially. I think so. I really, I truly do. It's a it's a fair question, and I well I don't want to say I'm worried about Philly because they just absolutely loaded up. But like, also Reese Hoskins is out for the season. Bryce Hopkins um, is out for half the year. I know you meant Bryce Harper. Bryce, That's just Bryce a funny Hopkins. coincidence. Wow. Bryce Hopkins. <laughs> we Bryce we Harper. did talk about him earlier in the yeah. show. It's okay. I'm still in college basketball him. mind. <laughs> Imagine Bryce Bryce Harper plays for Providence. That'd be pretty cool. Who would be better, um, Bryce Harper in Providence or Bryce Hopkins on the Phillies? I think Bryce Hopkins on the Phillies would be better than Bryce Harper playing baseball, basketball. And here's my hot take. I think they would both suck. Yeah. Like dreadfully. Because imagine Bryce Harper on a basketball court and then like imagine Bryce Hopkins taking hacks against like Clayton Kershaw. boy though. Yeah, but... <laughs> you're six six that doesn't mean you're a good baseball player like if you're if you're like six ten i liken that to like a six ten guy playing basketball like you at least can be like somewhat good like you have a chance but that doesn't translate if you're big to like to taking good hacks and getting on base you know who's to say we'll have to <laughs> that's that's so far <laughs> no luckily we will never have to figure that out um, but, all right, you you had uh, Mets and Phillies to both get ninety wins. That's where we left off. No Mets and Mets and Yankees. Oh yes, Mets and Mets and Yankees. Whoops. Um, this one I I really love Yankees, Guardians, Astros, Mets, Cardinals, Dodgers to all make the playoffs at plus four seventy five. Oh wow, that's a huge parlay. That's a huge parlay. <laughs> but let's be honest, Yankees definite, Astros definite, Cardinals definite. Dodgers, I'd still say is a definite. I don't know about the Cardinals, man. You, are you that confident? 
in their division? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Milwaukee gets their shit together again. Or maybe the Cubs I, freak everybody out. I think the Cardinals are a sure lock for the Central. I, I can't say I disagree. Yeah. I mean, like, the, on paper, they easily should cruise. <clears throat> but how much – yeah, I guess they really didn't lose, like, that much offensive firepower. Obviously, Pujols did what he did at the end of the year. He was just on a fucking tear. And Yachty was, like, okay. So I guess they're not losing that much. They're not so, losing that much. And you added Yadier Molina, I mean, um, Wilson Contreras. Yeah, that's a huge fucking That's ad. a huge ad. So I, I like that. And then, I mean, again, the Guardians should win the AL, the uh, um, like Central, the, right? Yeah, yeah, who's in their division right now? It's the White Sox, which I don't think are that competitive. Tigers, Twins, Royals after that. Maybe the Twins. Maybe the Twins. Maybe. Yeah. But hey, know, the if Car- the if the rookies on the Royals get their if they perform like if MJ Melendez does pretty well, like I'm I'm super high on that kid. He's yeah. gonna be really good. So I like that one. And then on to the player props. I got Aaron Judge uh home run total over 45 and a half at plus 110. Oh, I like that. I think that's such a low line. Like there's definitely two sides to me where it's like, okay, I think Aaron Judge can either beat his home run record again or hit 50 home runs and nothing less. And that's the thing. And that's why they're, that's like good value at plus money there. It, I mean, the total's high. Let's be very real. Like I'm uncomfortable with the total, but if you're placing money on that, like that's, that's think, a good yeah. value for the money. So on top of that, I have more home runs in the regular season, Aaron judge versus Alonzo. I took judge at minus minus one forty. Oh, Interesting. Because it's See, like, that'll be that'll be those are one of those things where it's like you have to stack those picks because it's like if I'm thinking Aaron Judge is going to hit over 45, then I'm thinking he's going to he's going to lead that duo. Um, I have Stanton over 30 and a half home runs. I think that's low. He's done that in back to back seasons already. What are your thoughts on Tatis? The over under is 33 and a half, and he's suspended until late April. Because originally I'm like, well, hammer the under because he's going to be out. But I didn't realize it was only till April 20th. I'd probably stay away. Because like his health is also a question too. Well, that's the thing. I really like the under there. Yeah. Which he never want to root against. He's playing the outfield. Yeah, apparently he's going to play left. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Because they have Cronenworth. They have... uh, Machado, and then well, I mean, he could just play fucking short, like because well, this Kim guy isn't that great. Xander Bogarts. Oh yeah, fucking Bogarts. That's right. Whoops, <laughs> forgot about him. Uh, casual. That's gonna take a long time for me to get used to. to yeah, See, that, that, I I think the Padres could be a very good team. They have a bunch of names. I think so too. And everybody was so. A lot of people stay have been staying away from Bogarts and like fantasy and whatnot. It's like he's gonna hit 300 again. Yeah, and I I don't understand. They're like the Padres have no pitching. You Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove are like a pretty solid three. I think a lot of teams would be happy with those three pitchers. Oh my god, yeah. Well, Musgrove, I guess, apparently is hurt now for a couple weeks. Snell's starting today, starting yeah. opening day. Very interesting. But to know. say that, like I. That's just so – it's like the same thing with, like, the Yankees hater right now. They're like, 
the Yankees just like don't have like the pitching staff. And it's like, oh, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, and Nestor Cortez aren't a good top one, two, three punch. <laughs> like, I not every team is like a Verlander Scherzer right times five. Like, let's be real. Um, but I I'm digress. looking at these head-to-head home runs, and there's some there's some interesting ones in here. Like Juan Soto versus Matt Chapman is basically even at 115 and 110. And I kind of like Soto for something like that. Same with Soto versus Acuna. There's J-Rod versus Machado. Um, Mike Trout versus Pete Alonso could shake out pretty interesting. Um, yeah, a lot of cool head-to-head homers here they also have otani versus matt olson that's an interesting one matt olson was he i think he had like eight homers this spring uh, monthly specials is an interesting category on the dk sportsbook as well um most regular season wins by the end of april yankees at plus 215 in the al east i really like that one because the Rays are actually favored there at plus two ten. Yeah, I know there was a there was a prop that was like uh, team just like will the Yankees start like five and zero, oh? and it was like heavy heavy like I bet against that somewhere. <laughs> well, well, because it was like it was like plus like a thousand yes, and it's like because they have the Giants and the Phillies back to back. I'm like that's a tough. Oh wow! They start the season with two NL opponents. I had no. Yeah, I, I love I love that rule. This new rule that everyone plays on opening day. Everyone plays each other at least once. I love it. Um, the interleague stuff. It's yeah. It's like the NBA or the NHL or even football. I mean, like they're like, yeah, screw it, we'll rotate you around. And I love that one year that the Yankees play the Dodgers in like the black jerseys. That yeah, was, on players weekend. Yeah, that was so cool. And it's like, why are we playing all these teams at least once? I'm glad they did away with it. I very I'm I'm very glad. So, um, um so I have Stanton to hit his 400th career home run at minus 550. That's a lot. I like that. He's 22 away. Um I have Garrett Cole to throw over 234 strikeouts. He's done that every year since 2017. Um besides the covid year that's at minus 105 and i got anthony volpe at rookie of the year at plus 500 because i i honestly think that that is if we're talking big awards that is the most realistic of the bunch because i think aaron judge will have a regression but he'll still you know last year he had to prove his contract now he needs to prove his identity and his legacy i think he's going to have a good year but the media is just going to suck off Otani. Otani can have like 30 home runs and have a two ERA. He's going to win the Cy Young. I mean, he's going to win the um, MVP. The Cy Young, I'd love to say Garrett Cole gets over the hump. I really do. And I want him to. I just think that the Cy Young is never who you think it's going to be. It's always some well, random. Yeah. It's always some random ass pitcher. Well, look at Giolito last year. He was my shoe in. I'm like, this guy is obviously going to win the Cy Young. And then he goes out and has a 550 ERA. Who won it last year? Uh, I think it was McClanahan. 
So it's like random. I never would have guessed Shane McClanahan to win the Cy Young. Yeah. I mean, Nestor had some smoke to it for a while. <laughs> like there was, I know. there was a chance by the All-Star break. You're like, this is our All-Star starter and Cy Young winner in Nestor Cortez. It's unreal. Uh, you know who it was? It was Sandy Alcantara in the NL, and then Verlander won it in the AL. That's, oh, that's, that's my bad. I thought it was McClanahan. But even still, how many people would have fucking picked Justin Verlander last year at 38 years old or whatever it was? Yeah. And, like, Sandy Alcantara was not on anybody's radar last year. Yeah. He was good, and people thought, like, oh, this kid could have a pretty decent year. But he was not really... Uh, there were probably some that said, hey, he could win the Cy Young, but most of the MLB community was like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, Anthony Volpe, we obviously put a, a lot of hype around him, but if he can swipe 30 bags, play some good defense, and have a 275 batting average, lock. I agree. Uh, very excited. You you putting some action on the Yankees today? I am. Um, I have. I'm pulling that up right now. So the Yankees are favored minus one and a half run line, uh, minus one ninety money line. Total is six and a half. Yes. So I did the. Let's see. I did the money line. I did the team total over three and a half. I did the total over seven and a half, and I did a parlay of money line and over plus 215. I have Aaron Judge over half home runs at plus 340. I have Anthony Volpe hits runs and RBIs over one and a half at plus 135, and over half a stolen base at plus 400. Hmm. I like it. Those are my plays. I am making one play today, and it is the BR betting team opening day parlay. I'm I'm hopping in on that. It's um it's literally the first thing you open when you see DraftKings, and this is where they get you because it's like <clears throat> you're like yeah that could happen these three legs, but rarely does it ever. But I I really like this one. Um, so shout out to the folks at Bleacher Report because I'm hopping on there. Bandwagon, if you will. Um, Yankees money line. Cubs plus one and a half against Milwaukee. And Cardinals money line over the Blue Jays. That pays plus 403. And we'll see what happens. So just threw a unit down. Baseball's back. 50 bucks in the pocket. Baseball's Baseball back, man. Back. It's dangerous because you could bet on inning by inning run lines. So yeah. I mean, this is gonna be my my flow of baseball. I'm gonna be hyped today. I'm gonna be hyped this month because it's March Madness, playoffs and hockey and, and base and basketball. You know, op- opening month of baseball. Yankees are gonna go on a tear. May, I'll watch. I mean, I I watch all the games, but I'm not going to be as like into it because it's like, okay, let's take a break. Start into the June summer, get a little delayed with stuff. Then you get the dog days and then come July 1st, then it's, it's full steam ahead of like, this is all I care about until football. Yep. That's, that's the flow. Hopefully we get to Fenway uh, for a couple of games this year. 100%. Ideal. And back in the Bronx. 
Yes. That is, that is a memory sure. that I, I will cherish at that, that game five. It was very fun running on maybe 30 minutes of sleep. Yeah. Both of us. Well, hey, maybe we'll try a, a Padres game. That would be cool. Would be cool. Wouldn't... I don't think they're home that week. I think ah, I, yeah, I remember. I remember seeing. I remember the second I found out. Hey, yeah, teaser might go to San Diego. We have a lot. <laughs> That's already a packed week. I know. Yes. Um. But we'll, we'll keep the crowd posted there. Uh. Before we close it out, final four. If you had Miami versus UConn and San Diego State versus FAU, please show yourself because there Six was not a soul on earth. Like, what the hell is going on? Six brackets, and it's definitely, like, a dad that has four kids that go to those schools or, like, four siblings that all went to those schools or, you know, parents were alumni and their children went to the other type of thing because there's there ain't no way. Hey, so shout out to my mom, actually, because she had FAU and UConn in the Final Four. That's pretty nice. the other two teams, but. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll give her the UConn pick. FAU? crazy she she liked florida so why there's a lot of people that are like let's just put the florida because i think (laughs) that's a good point uconn miami i was gonna say uconn could have uh uconn might have you know been advancing in a bracket but that doesn't make sense because they're playing each other now but anyway updated final four picks i just i don't see any way that i can't picture a yukon san diego state championship like that's i think i think if yeah. we're picking the two better teams right now it's just them too yeah but, that's who i have that's why i have going i i would love an fau miami narrative oh my God, type that of, would be so and, fucking and i think awesome. that'd be a great game but i think it's yukon san diego state and i I don't want to ride against Chris Tatinga. I don't because the Aztecs. We've we bit it since the, that's the narrative since November. But I think UConn would win it. Right, and that's the thing. It's like it's been so uncompetitive. Everyone that UConn's played, they have fucking steamrolled. And these aren't bad teams. It's Gonzaga. It's Iona. Which say what you want. Iona's a good basketball team. Um. It's crazy shit, man. Absolutely crazy shit. Uh, yeah, you content it for me. So, all right, that's the episode. Uh, stay tuned for more baseball and basketball. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.